0: Moses. Moses. Your fathers called me God, and I am. I have made you an orphan of grace. I have sustained you in the house of the king. Now see your purpose. For I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen the weight of their oppression. And I have come down to deliver them. And I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and guide my people to a land I have prepared. I will make you my mouthpiece. I will make you a shadow of one greater to come. I will lead you as I have led you. Now go! And you will see This morning we continue our look in the book of Exodus, which means the going out or the coming out of a place. And we have we've wrestled with this truth that God always brings us from something to bring us somewhere. God doesn't deliver us and leave us as orphans and say, Good luck. God is bringing us somewhere, and is bringing us into his glory and into his presence. Right? That's why when the trumpet sounds one day, it, we don't anticipate that because we like trumpets. We anticipate that because we will finally see Christ face to face. So that's what God is doing. And so today we look at numbers, at numbers. we look at Exodus 14. With this thought, we are... Facing the sea, but yet we should fear the Lord. Facing the sea and fearing the Lord. You see, this this word here, this book that I am holding, is the living, active word of God. It's not some book. It's not some ancient truth that we draw wisdom. We see who God is because he has given us his word. This is God's word to you and to me. So I invite you to turn with me to God's word. And as we open it up, that we would see who he is, that we would see what he says to us, and that our lives would be radically changed because his word is living and active and should be lived out actively in our lives. Exodus chapter 14, and we will read the entire chapter this morning, but we will settle on the first 10 verses to begin with. Second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 14, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before pi hir between Migdol and the sea, opposite of Baal-zaphon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. That is a promise of God. Remember that promise. Don't forget that promise. Verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh, his servants, was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots. These weren't the the jalopies. These were the, the streamlined, expedited, fast chariots. And all the chariots of Egypt with captains over and every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. They were joyful. They were singing. Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his army and overtook them camping by the sea beside pi Hahiroth. Before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so that they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Let's pray, Father. We admit to you this morning that your ways are so much higher than ours. Lord, that your paths are far greater than anything that we can understand. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us understand your word, that you would focus our minds, that you would open our ears and that you would give sight to our hearts. Lord, may we know you more deeply. May we see the good news that you invite us to partake of. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We see in, in Numbers, in Numbers. I, I, we're gonna look at Numbers later, obviously, um, but we see in Exodus Several truths here. And the first is, is this. We see in verse 1 that the journey of faith in our lives is not always going to be straight. Right? The journey of faith is not always straight in our life. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may turn and camp before Pi, how wrote, between Migdol and the sea, opposite of Baal Zephon, that you should camp before it by The sea. So this is what we find God's people doing. They have left Exodus. And we learned last week that they left because of the Passover event. That God, the final plague was Pharaoh. If you do not let my people go, I will send one final plague. And it will be the death of the firstborn male in every family. And so because of that plague, because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that plague was enforced and the angel of death crept through the land and anyone that did not have the lamb's blood over the frame of their house perished and we know that this is pointing to a greater lamb that would die for the salvation of the people and because of that Pharaoh said, leave. And so we find God's people leaving in, what does the verse say several verses later, with boldness. They were celebratory. They were cheering. Can you imagine the triumph? We know in Scripture that not only did God's people leave, but they left with what? But they had loot. Their bank accounts were filled with, with what? With the Egyptians' money. Basically, Pharaoh said, here, take anything you want, leave, and go. And so life was good and they were leaving and they were journeying to the promised land there was joy in the community of faith gk chesterton says this about joy that joy is the gigantic secret of the christian he says christianity satisfies suddenly and perfectly man's ancestral instinct for being the right way up And that by its creed, joy becomes something gigantic. I love that, that if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, joy is now gigantic in our lives, and sadness is something special and small. Life was awesome, and yet something odd happens along the journey. See what happens here in verse 2. If you're familiar with the lay of the land, if you know where pi wrote and baal Zephon are, you understand what's going on here, right? Between Migdol and the sea. So God commands the people to Turn. Now, you might be asking, well, pastor, I have no clue where these places are. Actually, scholarship is debating where the locations, the present locations of these places are. So you're not alone. But here's what we do know. So the people were journeying this way. They were journeying either north first, and God commanded them to stop and basically turn around. And as they turn around, now they are putting their backs towards the promised land, and they are again facing what? They are facing Egypt. And they don't know it yet, but what is now coming in their face? The Egyptians. What chariots? The choice chariots. So God has commanded them, take a detour, face again Egypt, and now camp with your back to the sea and your face towards the enemy. And we are faced in the journey of life often with U-turns, aren't we? You know, our journey of faith is not always straight. I wish it was. I wish I could say to you today, if you just put your faith in Christ, Jordan, if you just get baptized, life is going to be good. Your bank account is going to be filled up. The Egyptians are going to throw money in your bank account. And it's going to be joy and celebration all the days of your life. And that would be awesome. But the reality is that is not the world we live in. There are oftentimes in our life that we must take U-turns. And here is the gospel truth. There are oftentimes times that God asks you to take that U-turn. Sometimes U-turns are God-commanded. So God tells them, stop what you're doing. I know you're journeying to the promised land. Turn around. Uh, Garrett, Dwayne Garrett, a scholar, says this about the U-turn. He says, this was doubtably strange thing to do. He says, first, it took them in the wrong direction. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt sometimes in your life, God, I just feel like I'm going in the wrong direction. And often our first instinct is, well, God, I'm obviously not following you because I'm going the wrong direction. What if it feels like the wrong direction, but we're still in the path of righteousness? Would not Jesus tell us that he was following the plan of of God when he journeyed to the cross? And if anything felt like the wrong direction, would not the suffering of the cross feel like the wrong direction? And yet Jesus said, I will put my face to suffering and shame for the behalf of the world that needs to know deliverance. Garrett continues. He said, It also placed them in a terrible tactical situation and trapped against the sea behind and easily pinned down by military force. So what do we do when life is not expected? What happens when our journey in our lives are interrupted? And what happens when we feel like, God, you have put me in a bad place? Ever, Anyone ever feel like that? God, I just feel like I'm in a bad place right now and I am not cool with it. How do we respond in grace and truth when our lives take U-turns? I think there are several things. First, when our back is against the wall, literally, when your back is against the sea, God is asking us, are you going to look at your situation or are you going to look through that into my glory? See, God gives us the option for those who put our faith in Christ are you looking with your eyes or are you looking with your heart? Now, that's hard for us, is it not? Because we see with eyes. And yet God calls us as spiritual people to trust He who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God asks us, look, you are not wrestling within flesh and blood, but with angels and principalities of darkness. Here's our struggle. We can't see principalities of darkness. And so we say, God, I can't see, therefore I do not believe. And I I think that sometimes God asks us, why don't you look through your circumstance and look to the cross, look to the deliverance. The disciples in John chapter nine beg the same question and struggle that we have. They're walking with Jesus. Now how how awesome is that to walk with Christ? And they walk upon a man who is blind. So the disciples ask a question that you and I might ask. They say, Jesus, who sinned? this poor man who is blind, or his parents. So they throw the parents under the bus also. Because we know that someone has sinned. You don't just go blind because of no reason. And Jesus' response to them is an odd response. Jesus says, neither, but that the glory of God might be revealed. Jesus says, don't look at the circumstance. Look through it and look to Deliverance in Jesus Christ. And when we face turns in our lives, God is begging us and challenging us, are you going to look at the situation or are you going to look to the Father, the author and perfecter of your faith? When you can't go anymore and when your back is against the wall, look to Jesus Christ look to Christ. This world and our community desperately needs to see God's grace in the people of faith. It's one thing when we are shouting and blowing trumpets and like, it, life is good. God is good. Let's celebrate. But the world needs to see that when we are going forward, through it, And we have taken a U-turn and the sea is at our back and the enemy is in our face. We look at the world and we say, I don't understand it, but I know his grace is sufficient. Look to Christ. May we look to Christ. U-turns also afford us not only lessons to look through the circumstance, but to walk in obedience. To walk in obedience. Look at verse 3. Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. They're confused. The wilderness has closed them in. Now, I would imagine there's a point in this U-turn that they realize, hey, we are going off course. God, we know what you said. We're going to the promised land. But I just, have you ever felt like you you turned around? have Have you felt like, I've seen this before. And you wonder at what point does the community of faith get there? Do they say, God, I feel like we're going the wrong way. And God is saying, it feels like it, but turn. Continue on the path. This isn't a lesson in obedience. I believe God is asking us, when your life takes turns, will you still follow Christ? Will you count the cost and say, Jesus, is difficult. But it is worth it. I will make the turn. I will walk through the storm because I know that you are there. U-turns afford us lessons in obedience. I know what you're saying. Oh, well, I, don't want to, I don't want God to, to give me the chance to obey. I'd rather just celebrate. I don't want the opportunity. But yet... We celebrate a righteous and perfect Savior who sustains us by his mercy. Jesus Christ gives us the faith to believe. He gives us the faith to walk. Will you turn when God says turn? Even when you feel like you're turning into the enemy. Even when you feel like you're turning into the wind. U-turns afford us that storms will either shake our faith or they will steady our resolve in the Lord. Storms will shake our faith or they will steady our resolve. And my prayer is that storms of life, the turns of life, would only make you stay on the rock of Jesus Christ. We see another truth here about U turns in our lives. I think we see that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God uses the foolish things in our life to shame the wise. Look at verse 3, Pharaoh will say they are bewildered by the land and the wilderness has closed them in. You ever feel like that? Have you felt in your life that that you have done the right thing, it turns out to be the foolish thing? Or have you ever felt like God's calling you to do something that just feels stupid? You know, God, this person just cursed me in my face. And I know you're calling me to bless them, but I would rather bless them out, right? It's close to obedience, but not quite. Or God, I know that someone hit me in the face, but Lord, I don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to swing the haymaker. God, this feels foolish, God, the world is saying it's foolish. God, the world is saying the cross is an image of death. And Lord, your word says that the cross is life. I don't understand it. And God says in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is why to anyone who comes to faith in this church, and Jordan would say he would affirm what we've already discussed. I sat across from him and we talked about our faith. And we said, look, we are not good. You are not getting baptized because you are good. We are getting baptized. We sit in those waters and we go under because we are not good. And Jesus Christ died for us because he knew we were not good. That's why we believe in the depravity of our souls. There is nothing in me that merits salvation. Right? It is the gift of God. It is by grace we have been saved. It is the gift of God, lest we do not boast. That way we can't jump in the water and say, look at me, world. Look how good I am. Look at what I'm bringing to the church. Look at what I'm offering. No, we say the opposite. We say that I have nothing to offer. And Jesus went to the cross. And it doesn't sound right, it sounds foolish, but he died on the cross that if I believe in him that I will not perish, but I will have life. This is what U-turns in our life afford. The chance to show the world that the foolish things of the world God will use for his glory and for his honor. God uses the foolish things in our life to shame the wise. If you feel like you're wise today, watch out. Watch out. Lastly, God will put us sometimes in hopeless situations to show his glory to the world. Have you ever felt like you're in a hopeless situation? God, I don't know what to do. I had a conversation with a parent today, and we've both walked through situations this week where we've looked at our kids and we say, I don't have the answer. God is hopeless. And God says, you know, come to think of it, I'm glad you mentioned it. Because it's not hopeless. Because I sent my son to give hope to the hopeless. Josh, point your eyes to Jesus. And I will renew your hope. Remember that you stand on the solid rock. You have not built your house on sand. You built your house on rock. And when the storms of life come, the house might shake, but the rock will not move. God often puts us in hopeless situations to remind us that our hope is not in our camp or the fast, quick nature of how quick that we journey, but it is that we hope in Jesus Christ, who by his grace sustains us. He is long-suffering towards us. The path is not always straight, but God is always there. To the glory of the Lord. We not only see that the path is not always straight, but look at verse 10. Sometimes the journey in our lives bring fear. Sometimes the journey brings fear. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. Now, what were they just doing? They were journeying with boldness. They were cocky. Like right, we, uh, we have a new worship time on Wednesdays, where we are as a family of Christ, we're worshiping together. We're praying together. We're eating together. We are playing together. And sometimes when we play baseball or kickball with the youth, you can just tell they're, you know, they're, they walk a little proud. And there's just something in me that wants to say, Lord, let me, give me the strength to humiliate them, right? <laughs> um, and unfortunately, my team two weeks ago lost in the finals to one of our youth's team. So I was, the, I was the humiliated. But that was the children of Israel. They are walking with their chest out celebrating until what? Until verse 10, they see something in the distance. And the Bible says that they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. I believe that everyone is fearful and afraid of something. And I have seen very brave men get to the end of their lives and they would say, I have have not been a day scared in my life until I look death face to face. And I realized I will not conquer death. Some of us have very legitimate fears. Some of you have very weird fears. I'll give you some of them. There is a fear of yellow called xanthophobia. Xanthophobia. The fear I have, and some of you have crimson phobia, which is a fear of another color that will not be named. Uh, There is the fear called Turophobia, the fear of cheese. The fear of cheese. I love cheese. So if you are fear, if you are scared of cheese, uh, give yours to me. Uh, There is there is helophobia, the fear of trees. And youth, get ready for this. Um, There is nomophobia, the fear of being without mobile phone coverage. (laughs) The fear of being without mobile phone coverage. Uh, But you see, fear is very real in our lives. I wish I could tell you, well, if you just believe in Jesus, you will never fear anything again. But that's not reality, is it? We see here a very real and broken community because we now live in a broken world. So let me just remind you that fear in our lives is natural and it is normal, but it is not spiritual. You're tracking there. Fear is normal and natural, but it is not spiritual. So if you're, if you're fearful and you say, well, I, why am I like this? It's natural. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where people go, to the London Tower Bridge, and run a van into a community of innocent bystanders, a bridge that we are planning to be in a month today. And you look and say, God, we can't go on that. What, what if that happens to us? And God says, well, what if it does? Even in my death, may God be glorified. Here's what God says about fear. 1 Timothy 1, you are not Called to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So, if you are here today and you, if you are in your life looking at something that is fearful cancer, sickness, rebellion, bankruptcy, death. Those are natural fears because we live in a broken world. And God's word says those are natural and those are normal. But God says, I have not given you that spirit. I've called you to sound mind. I've called to a spirit of power. And so we, if we are fearing, we can look up as Israel did and say, we see Pharaoh, God. And God says, but yes, but call out to me and I will hear you. And fear in our life should draw us to the Savior. Fear in our life should draw us to the Savior. You see, I believe that Israel's fear flowed from a failure to remember God's promises. Israel's fear flowed from a failure to remember the promises. So what what are their promises Well, we saw in verse 4 that God reminded them. He said, I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army. So five verses later. Five verses. What God has already promised, the people have already forgotten. So when we forget God's promises in our life, we open the door to fear. Now, when we remember God's promises, we close the door to fear. It doesn't mean that fear does not keep knocking, but that when fear knocks, we say, you know what? I remember God's promise. And you know what? You can keep knocking and you just stay outside because God has not given me a spirit of fear. Fear, you stay outside the home that God has built. The the lamb's blood is on the door. Death, you can pass by, but you stay outside. Fear, you can pass by my house, but you stay outside. Because I remember the promises of God. And you say, well, pastor, what are those promises to us? Here's some of them. 1 John 5, listen with with intent ears. I love some of these promises. 1 John 5, the beloved apostle says, I have written you these things that you may know of your salvation. God promises that we can know that we're saved. We don't have to get up every morning and say, God, I've sinned again. Am I saved or not? God reminds us, Josh, did you do anything to earn your salvation? Well, no, sir. Well, can you do anything to unearn your salvation? No, sir. It is the atoning, perfected work of Christ, and we can know of our salvation. That is the beauty of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is a promise. John 10, 27, a promise of Jesus to us. My sheep hear my voice, and I know him. God promises you that if you are his, he knows your voice. So when you say, God, it's me again, God says, I know that voice. I, I know my sheep. And God doesn't say, ugh, Really? God doesn't have a a smartphone that that He has our number. Do not you know blocked, or do not answer. Or I still have a Louisiana number, and I know when I call somebody, you're thinking as a salesman, I'm not answering it. God's not. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with it. I'm stubborn. I'm leaving my Louisiana number. But God does not treat us the same way. That when we cry out, God says, "I hear you. I hear you, sheep," and it's a sweet voice. Psalm 34, this poor man cried and the Lord answered. That's the promise that he knows your voice. And so if if you're in a difficult place today, cry out to God. He hears you. If he doesn't hear you, that means you're not his or you're not crying out. And either way, that can change right now. Another promise, 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have you ever felt just crushed and persecuted and pressed? But I love that promise. We say, God, the sea is here and the enemy is here. And God says, why are you worrying? Greater is he that is in you than is he that is in the sea and the chariots that are impending upon you. Romans 8, there is there now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We say, well, pastor, you don't know what I've done, but God does, and he still sent his son to forgive you. John 14, Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you. You see, remembering God's promises is like geocaching for the soul. I believe God gives us daily reminders of his grace. If you're not familiar with geocaching You can get your GPS and you can go to sites and people have hid uh, little trinkets and things around different locations in the world, in our community. So you walk around with your phone, uh, you can be that obnoxious person, you walk around with your phone oblivious to the world around you and you get something that's really insignificant but it brings you momentary joy and it's pretty awesome. But here's, here's the joy of following Christ. We don't have GPS, we have the Holy Spirit. And God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us daily reminders of his promises. I believe that when we're struggling, the Holy Spirit says, here, pick up this promise. I feel small. Greater is he. I am fearful today. Don't forget that God has not given you a spirit of fear. And when we find fear face to face, remember God's promises in your life. Because whatever God promises, he delivers on. He always delivers. Uh, Let's keep going. Verse 15. Not only is the path not always straight, and sometimes we face fear, but seven days, in verse 14, we see this. That's That's chapter 12. In verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? The people have cried. Now Moses is crying. Tell the children of Israel to go Forward. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. The journey of Christ is a journey forward, right? It's a journey. He said, well, how can you go forward? What is forward? What is, the, what is the geographical perimeter or barrier here? To God's community, they can't go forward because of the sea. There's a, anyone cross the sea on foot? You can't. There's a, there's a literal, physical sea. We say, well, God, I can't go forward. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does it say about our confidence In the Lord, when we are always looking in the past. What does it say about my trust in God today if I'm always looking to yesterday? And and we come by it naturally. We are yesterday people. Look, yesterday always looks better in the past. Have you ever gone on a family vacation and you remember this great childhood memory and you bring your children to the same location and you're like, this is really lame? Have you ever been there? um we went on vacation this week and we went to um the the mouse world and I just remember at points like man I just I brought my kids who don't like to stand in line or are not patient for a two-hour wait in line what was that I remember it differently when I was a child or have you ever watched a tv show that you just loved growing up and you watch it and you're thinking man the graphics are horrible how did I how did I enjoy this this is what happens naturally to us. We always believe that the past is greater than it was, right? We always say, "Well, God, if we could just get back to the way things used to be, hey, we were still sinful back then, right? The same temptations today. Well, if we would just go back to yesteryear, then everything would be different. No, God is the same today and yesterday and. In the future, what does it say about our confidence if we're constantly living in the past? I believe Satan wants the church to live in the past. Because if we do that, then we've lost our power today. Because if we really want to go back, look at the power of Acts 2, where they didn't have the projection systems and the hymnals and the pews and the modern conveniences, but thousands were added to their number daily because of the Holy Spirit. The quickest way for us to become spiritually weak is to relive the glory days and rest on our laurels. I believe another tool of Satan is also to make us sinners relive our past sins. We want to live behind, not towards. We say, well, I can't serve God because I've sinned. And God says, well, duh, we've already addressed that. Right, You have sinned, and Christ died for our sin in the past. And so you've been redeemed, and you've been forgiven. So the only reason we should remember our past folly is to make us wise in the present. Because we've repented of that, God has forgiven us. So if I'm remembering my sin, that's not of God. It is of the enemy. God does not want us. What does he say to Moses? why do you cry out? He says, tell the people, move forward. May we move forward in our lives for the glory of God. Tomorrow in Christ should be greater than yesterday because I am growing in my faith and I am trusting in his spirit. Lastly, we're gonna end here. Verse 16. God tells Moses, lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it And the children of Israel shall go out on dry ground, dry ground, the midst of the sea. In verse 21, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. What type of ground? Dry ground. And the waters were a wall. Now, the word wall here is not like a cobblestone fence. This is a wall that would be like a city gate. So you are walking along a wall that you look up and you see fish. And you say, well, I I don't believe that could happen. It only happens through the power and the miraculous strength of God. This is the God we say, so I don't believe that. That's something to you to deal with. I believe it because God's word says it, and I know he is that powerful. It is a miracle of grace. So look at verse 30. And By the way, I would have been scared, just for future reference, going through the wall. Verse 30, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. and Israel saw the, And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which Israel had done in Egypt. And so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Nineteen times in this passage, the word sea is used. This is not any sea. We say, well, what does the Red Sea have to do with us? This is not any sea. Listen to the words of Dwayne Garrett. He says, the sea in biblical and Israelite thinking is an apocalyptic figure representing death and destruction. It is the abyss, a watery hell from which evil things emerge and into which the wicked finally descend. In Job 41, it is the domain of the Leviathan. In Revelation 13, the beast rises out of the sea. And in Revelation 20, the sea is filled with the dead. And Jonah, where does Jonah want the sailors to cast him in? Throw me into the sea. Why? Because this is the heart of sinfulness. Jonah was saying, I deserve death and I am sinful. Throw me in. It wasn't simply about suicide. He said, I deserve the sea. And in Matthew 12, the sea becomes a portrait of Christ's descent into death. You see, the sea in our lives represents chaos and destruction. And everyone in here will face seas in their life. Everyone will face, and if you have not, you will. And maybe that doesn't happen until the end of your life when you face death face to face. Here is the reality. You will not win the fight against death because the Bible says that the wages, the consequences of our sin is death. But listen to these words. Verse 30, the the Lord saved Israel. The word saved there is Yeshua. The Hebrew word is the the proper noun, proper name would be Joshua. So Israel was Joshua that day. The Greek equivalent of Yeshua would be Easus. You might know it by this name, Jesus. It's as if God is saying to us, Israel was Jesus that day. Israel was saved that day. Jesus says this in John 5. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And he shall not come into judgment, but, verse 24, he has passed from death into life. He has crossed through death into life. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, if you believe in me, I will part the sea. If you believe in Jesus, you will find salvation. Oh, people, if you believe in Jesus, he will Joshua you. He will Jesus you. He will save you. And the only salvation that we will ever find eternally in our life is Jesus Christ. I love the picture of baptism. Because it was as if when I was baptized, and it was as if Jordan, when he was baptized today, said this, Church, I deserve death. Throw me in the water. I deserve to die. I deserve the Red Sea. And God says, you do. But if you put your faith in me, that he who desires to keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. And when we say to the Lord, I will die to myself because I deserve death, God says, if you trust in me, you will find salvation. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel like the sea is behind you and the enemy is before you and you have no way out. Jesus Christ is the one that can part the sea and say you will pass through it from death into life. It is foolishness to believe that if you die, you will find life. But for those who believe, the cross is a symbol of life and life eternal. So I'm asking you today, will you believe in Jesus as your sacrifice? Oh, what a glorious Savior that we have. You said, Pastor, I, you don't understand what I've done, but he does. And he, while you were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. Oh, that we would find salvation in him. And if that is you today, I invite you to respond. Right where you sit, you can put your faith in Christ. You say, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I deserve death. And Jesus Christ died for me that I might find life. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And I will speak it. And I will say with my mouth in front of these people, He is my Lord. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, all oh, will find the glories of salvation. Maybe you're here today and you feel like your life has taken that U-turn. And you need to spend some time reflecting, saying, God, wash over me. God, I'm tired of turning the wrong way. God, I need your strength. I'm tired of fearing. Help me remember the promises. We're gonna have a time of invitation. And before we take the Lord's Supper, I'm gonna invite you to purify your heart and to prepare your life of taking communion. The Bible says, do not eat this without thought. Do not drink judgment upon yourself, but may we have a pure heart and clean hands. So I invite you to spend time with the Savior, cleanse your soul that we would eat and drink for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Father.